0: Private Lender Podcast, episode 52. The Private Lender Podcast Code of the Day comes to us from Robert Kiyosaki, who said, the moment you make passive income and portfolio income a part of your life, your life will change. Those words will become flesh. It's beginning to look a lot like distress property buying season. Property taxes will soon be due. Investors will be needing cash, and this can help you grow your money stash. (laughs) Welcome to the Private Lender Podcast, the only investing podcast dedicated to helping private lenders and node investors while creating an alternative economy where people just like you and me are able to passively invest in real estate without banks or Wall Street brokers. My name is Keith Baker, and welcome to episode number 52, which is scheduled to go live on Christmas Eve 2018. (laughs) Today, I'm going to give you an update on the foreclosure that I've been talking about and chronicling over the last few weeks, and I'm also going to speak about the HUD-1, or the document also known as the Settlement Statement. If you close at a title company or in escrow, then it will be supplied what's called the HUD-1, or what we used to be called the HUD-1, but is a Settlement Statement. And I'm going to kind of go over each little pieces of it there and why it's a pretty interesting document. And there's a lot of good information that needs to be checked before anybody signs anything. So as a lender, I always like to look at the HUD one before I wire my funds to the title company. But before we get into all of that, I'd like to go ahead and thank our sponsor. This episode of the Private Lender Podcast is proudly sponsored by CountyTaxSaleApp.org. With CountyTaxSaleApp.org, you get a very powerful lead generation tool in the palm of your hand, on your laptop, desktop, or any device you choose. Get real-time alerts for between 300 and 600 properties every month that are coming up for the foreclosure auction in Harris County, Texas, the third largest county in the United States. With this intuitive design and interface, the County Tax Sale App lets you search all properties with highly motivated sellers that are coming up for foreclosure auction. Simply search the map and click on a property to learn important details about that property, such as the address, owner's contact info, minimum bid, and a street view photo. You can save properties to your favorites and contact the sellers directly and receive email and text alerts if one of your favorite properties is redeemed or canceled prior to the auction. You can even listen to Sammy Gupta on episode 28 of this podcast as he discusses all the powerful features and benefits of countytaxsaleapp.org. For more information, go to the Private Lender Podcast sponsor page, the show notes page for this episode, or to CountyTaxSaleApp.org. That's CountyTaxSaleApp.org. And I'd like to give a special holiday thank you to CountyTaxSaleApp.org, as well as 713 riacom for their continued support. And I'd like to wish my sponsors Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and even though I'm a little late for it, Happy Diwali. All right, so let's get into the heart of the matter. Before I give the update on the foreclosure, I want to talk to you about that last. I'm going to go ahead and talk a little bit about the HUD statement, the settlement statement. So, if you close at a title company, you purchase a house, you sell a house, you're going to get each the buyer and the seller both get a copy of this, and it is the document that records the transaction and the pieces of the transaction. And the thing that makes it I guess the most interesting is a couple of things. One, my CPA always requests it, which is pretty standard. If you invest in real estate or purchase, this is the document by which my CPA will compute my taxes. I was taking a class by Michael Plax, who was guest on this show in episode 13, and he handles nothing but federal taxes and state taxes for real estate investors. But he taught that you need to really look through this HUD-1, the settlement statement, with a sharp magnifying glass and a good lens because a lot of mistakes are made here. And I'm saying this not only just as a lender, because I always look at this as a lender as well. It's always provided. During the process, I'll get my commitment for title insurance, but I'll also get a copy of, it's like a pro forma HUD-1. It's a living, breathing document. So as you know, the down payment is on here, the insurance premiums, costs, the fees to file with the county, all that is listed out here and if you're buying selling or lending you want to check this just to make sure that your interests are going to be best represented and there's not a typo or an error so there's essentially two sides there's the left side and the right side and it it starts you know pretty simple what's the contract sales price what are the settlement charges that the borrower is going to pay so those are the closing costs that the purchaser in this case i'm using one of my HUD ones from a transaction I did where I was the purchaser and, and not the lender. However, it really doesn't matter for the illustrative purposes, but I will put a copy of it on the website to show notes. So that'll be private lender com forward slash PLP dash Oh five two. So the HUD one's going to list off all the costs and fees. There's going to be you know, HOA dues, insurance taxes that need to be paid or prorated. They'll take into account the, the earnest money and how much the principal of the new loan is going to be. Then there is the owner's policy that's paid by the seller. So when someone buys a house, the seller normally pays for their title policy, that is, just for title insurance, not for property insurance. So it'll go down and say the estimated amount from the borrower how much they need to bring to the table. And also with the seller, contract sales price, any monies they're giving up, any concessions that they're, they're having to give up, they uh, oftentimes will, seller will contribute to the buyer's costs. In this case, I negotiated $4,000 off my original contract price. But there's also interesting things, You know, if there's a mortgage on the property, how much that has to be paid off, that's key. That's, that's taken into account the settlement charges to the seller. Oftentimes they pay the realtor fees. So that's going to be part of their fees. That'll come out of their end. And you want to make sure that everything is correct. Loan payoffs are correct. You want to make sure that anything that's quoted in here is going to be accurate. So insurance premiums, for example, taxes owed, all of this, this should all be paper trails for this stuff. And, Take a look at it. Make sure that if you owe property taxes and you're selling in October, you could pay the taxes up until that point. But most of the times they'll just prorate and credit to the buyer. And then in January, that buyer has to pay the taxes. And you want to make sure those numbers are, of course, accurate. And of course, items payable in connection with the loan. This is where your origination fees and points are going to be listed. Also has a place for the flood certification, tax service or credit report. Oftentimes the appraisal fee is paid. Normally I pay my appraisal fees up front, initially before I get the loan. And I, as a lender, I charge if I'm going to use an appraisal, or let's say a broker price opinion, then those are paid up front. And if you go back to my lending scam, those was like one of the few things you want to pay, one of the few lending fees you want to pay up front. I digress a little bit, but you know it just lists everything out. There's reserves that have been deposited, how much money has been put into escrow, earnest money, so on and so forth. And then there's title charges. There's a settlement or a closing fee that usually goes straight to the title company or to the attorney who's performing the closing. There's owner's title insurance and lender's title insurance, and that's as a private lender, it's something you demand. It's one of those non-negotiables, or you don't lend the money. Plain and simple. You know I say that, but there are extenuating circumstances where I would consider not taking a lender policy, but they would have to be very, very, very rare. But I digress. So a lot of times, and what Michael Plax was talking about, a lot of these fees get doubled up. People will use preliminary numbers. Say, for example, taxes that are going to be owed on a property. They'll use preliminary numbers. And the more that you stay on top of the HUD-1 statement, the more you're involved and the more that Requested and want to see the updated versions of it. It gives you a chance to find things that are inaccurate, but it also lets everyone know that you're not just going to take their word for it or face value. You're going to look at everything. And whether you're buying, selling, or lending, you need to look at your paperwork, plain and simple. And in the future, I'll be bringing on guests that work at title companies to explain a little bit more. But I wanted to start at least get the conversation rolling on this. Document, it's boring, everybody gets it, whatever, but it's there for a reason. So I highly, highly recommend that you check everything on your HUD ones, or your settlement statements when you close, as the buyer, as the seller, and as the lender. Okay, so now I'm off my soapbox about HUD ones. I'm thinking about jumping right back on when I give you my foreclosure update. So the attorney reached out and said, Hey, there may have been an issue. We may have to wait another month because when he filed the clerk reported some inaccurate information back to him and said, we'll have to wait another month. Well, as it turns out, he did a little digging and emailed us and said, "Well, everything is A-OK. We're on schedule to foreclose on the 4th. The first Tuesday of the month in Texas is when the foreclosure auctions occur. This one happened to be December 4th. Nobody purchased the property at the foreclosure auction, so we the title has now gone back to mine and my partner's company. And we've issued the order or the notice to vacate, to evict. And then I started thinking, I'm not going to lie, I kind of felt like a piece of shit for kicking somebody out this close to Christmas. It was a little rough. November doesn't bother me. January doesn't bother me. But there's something about around the Christmas time that I didn't like. But it was too late, uh, essentially, at that point in time. And then I started thinking, that was a mentality of lack because I was taking something away from somebody, literally. This borrower didn't honor the contract. And it's written down. These are the remedies available to me. And I took those remedies. I hired a lawyer. Let him do all the dirty work and filing and everything. But hired a lawyer to keep me legal as well, to keep me protected, to keep me and my partner, our business, our LLC protected. And then I started thinking, I need to always stop thinking with that lack mentality. And then I realized that for the last 16 months, this person has been able to live in a house. Now, is it perfect house? No, it had issues with it, but he knew that going into it, he was going to fix it up. And yes, it did receive some water from Harvey, but for the last 16 months, he's lived in that house. And for 15 of those months, I basically let him live there for free. We waited over a year to foreclose because I just didn't feel right after Harvey. And now 16 months later, and 15 months of no payments, time is up. It needs to go. It's just bad timing. I think a 15 months of free rent is a pretty good gift. And if you're not ready to foreclose on people, you probably shouldn't be in the lending business. Just one of those points I want to keep it real with everybody that I don't want to come across and say, hey, it's all rainbows and snowflakes. Because it's not, because this is a business to me. Lending is a business. It's an investment. I do it to grow my money, to make my life better, or my future life, I should say, my retirement, hopefully, and that of my wife and my children. And I don't get into it to take properties back. I want the cash flow every month, but I've come to accept this. This is part of it. And my warning to you is if you're going to lend to somebody who's going to be an owner-occupant, This may be a case not to do it because one, you have, you know, you need an RMLO, residential mortgage loan originator. They need to make sure that everything, these people are vetted because they're a consumer. They're not an investor now. They're a consumer. So essentially in the eyes of the law, they're completely ignorant and easily misled. So, and rightfully so, it's not a complaint. I'm just saying, but that's the way it's going to play out. They don't know anything and bad, bad lender. But then again, here, you know, I kick somebody out of their home right before Christmas I really don't like that, but I've moved through it, moved on, obviously. And we'll you know do it again, but this is one of the ugly spots of this business. Less favorable, I should say. Maybe not ugly. It's a little strong, but it's less favorable, and it's all part of it. And I feel like I'd be doing a disservice to anyone listening if I wasn't honest about the foreclosure process and the end result and how that made me feel as a person, as a lender. Anyway, hopefully you guys can glean something from that or take something away from it. And and look, I'm going to do this again. I'm okay with it. I'm not going to change my lending strategies because of this. This is part of the game. Anyway, so now that I've probably completely depressed you on Christmas Eve, I release you to go to your families. (laughs) But as I did with my Thanksgiving episode, please keep it civil. No fights. Don't go to jail. Especially now. I mean, the Black Friday thing, I kind of understand. But if you're going to jail on Christmas, it's probably because of your cousin or your brother or something. So let's try to keep that out. Keep it above board. But, all right, I'm going to stop now. I apologize. Anyway, so please continue to email your questions to Keith at com, And please rate and review on the platform you use to listen to this show. Please spread the word. Connect with me on social media at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Bigger Pockets. And of course, you can find all of this information, how to connect with me and today's show notes and more over at ThePrivateLenderPodcast.com. Thank you for sharing your time with me today, and I wish you prosperous lending, investing, and life. I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Private Lender Podcast with your host, Keith Baker. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit privatelenderpodcast.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time.